2: Good Thursday afternoon and welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com to learn more. Alongside Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. We are glad to have you along for the ride and we'd love to hear from you this afternoon. Seaspire text line is open to you, 601 879 4395. Whether you're looking for the best in wireless, the best in home internet, or the best in business IT services, Ceasefire has you covered. Learn more about them online at cSpire.com, Ceasefire customer inspired. Good Thursday afternoon to you fellas. What's shaking? You know, we're just a few days away from the Super Bowl. Uh, I am aware of that. Three, I believe.
3: Just kind of, uh, this week has just kind of...
2: Evaporated? Yeah. It's gone by in a hurry. No uh, no question. Hello, Mr. Hayden. Hey, how's it going? Great to see you. Yeah, good to see you as well. You had a late night last night. Mississippi State playing the late game at Humphrey Coliseum uh, on yeah. the uh, the Wednesday night slate. They get a win against the Georgia <laughs> Bulldogs. You got a little dicey, little dicey, When Mississippi State, or excuse me, when Georgia cut it to three, and then Mississippi State answered with a three from the corner from Sean Jones, they created a turnover on the defensive end, got back to the other end, and from almost the exact same spot, Josh Hubbard knocked out a three. When that game went from three to nine in the blink of an eye, like a span of, I don't know, 15 seconds on game clock, it was like State's going to get it done tonight.
4: Yeah, and I felt like State was in control most of the game. And then they only trailed once, and that was at 3-2. to two. Uh, They led by double digits in the first half uh, and, and maintained a pretty good lead. Uh, Georgia was able to hit some threes, keep them in it. Nate Thomason, what a game he had. He had six three-pointers and 20 points uh, total to really keep the uh, the other Bulldogs in it. But as you mentioned, when it, when it got close there and Georgia cut their lead to three, which was the closest it had been in quite some while, um, Jones, who had been struggling. So give him some some credit, you know, to have the confidence to take that shot. I think he was one of eight from the field when that shot went down. Um and then of course Hubbard, never lacking for confidence. He'll always fire. So yeah, good win for state. Really good defensive performance. Uh, you know, Sean Jones filled in nicely for DJ Jeffries and getting Keyshawn Murphy back, that can't be understated. Ten points, I think four rebounds for him. Uh Rams Davis with eight assists. That, that was really key for Mississippi State. He looked like his, his old self out there uh, running the offense. Really good game for State. They got the win, and now they move on to another game that they have to win uh, to keep things going.
2: Yeah, and, and they did it on a night where Georgia made some threes. I mean, they made 12 threes yeah. in the ball game, and Noah Thomason was red hot. Um, he was finished 6 of 11 from behind the arc and scored 20 points in the ball game. But aside from that, they got nothing else out of their starters. Uh, it was a tough matchup for Chihuahua on the inside. Sanahara didn't do much. Uh, Demary didn't do a whole lot. Uh, Hill did not do a whole lot. They they did get uh, double digit points out of Blue Kane. Um, interesting name. Interesting hairstyle. Have you seen that guy? Do, do you I know? Who,
4: yeah, Michael. Yeah. He
2: looks like Michael Borky
4: if he if Borky had slicked back blonde hair into a ponytail. I feel like but, you're underselling my face a little bit. I mean, he, he they, 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 they you, you look the same. You look very similar, in my opinion. I would watch
3: Maybe. a three-part documentary on how he came to the conclusion of cutting
4: his hair in the way that he does. I want to know more about I, I want a whole 30-for-30 30 30 on this guy. First off, his name is Blue Kane. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the, that's the first thing. Get, all right, you, see, you saw him. You know what he looks like. Where do you think he went to high school? I mean, I know. You know. I
3: Borky, do you want to guess? I looked him up last night. I don't remember, but I won't be
4: surprised. He went. He went to IMG. Yeah, for for his last year, he was <laughs> the from biggest Knoxville. athlete. Yeah, biggest athlete factory in the world, and Blue Cane. Blue well, know, doesn't necessarily look, look like, like it.
2: But he was an ESPN top 100 guy. He was a he was a big time ball.
4: recruit that a lot
2: of people can wanted ball. coming out of high school. He
3: looks like he got a scholarship because he got TikTok famous shooting on a wooden basketball hoop on his family's farm in Montana.
4: He looks like if Furio had been in the Irish mob. I mean, it's incredible.
2: Point being, in all of that, uh, Blue Kane was the only other Bulldog in double figures yeah. last night. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mississippi State had four. In double figures. Tolu Smith with a big night. 19 points even and 12 him, rebounds on 8 of 10 shooting. Four of those yeah. rebounds came on the offensive end. Got 9 points and 11 really boards good. out of Cam Matthews. 14 for Hubbard last night. It's only 3 of 12. Wasn't his best shooting night, but uh, he made some big shots. 11 for Shaq Moore, 10 for Keyshawn Murphy. And Haydad uh, hey pointed this out a second ago, Deshaun Davis... Eight assists. We had five points and eight assists in 26 minutes in the game. Mississippi State only played eight guys last night. We talked about the fact that it was a thin rotation going in. Uh, no DJ Jeffries, no Trey Fort last night. So the return of, of Keyshawn Murphy ended up being a big deal. He played 15 minutes and really took some minutes from uh, from Jimmy Bell, who played only nine minutes in the game and didn't do much yeah. in terms of the uh, the stat line. That was a big boost, though, for Mississippi State.
4: Absolutely. And we didn't really mention Tolu. He had nineteen points and twelve. I mean, and looked like his old self was more explosive getting to the to the rim. State I had nineteen assists on twenty five made buckets. That'll play just about each and every night that you're out there on the court. I asked Jans in the uh postgame which stat he was happier with. It's only ten turnovers or going sixteen of nineteen from the free throw line. He picked the turnovers, but
2: he he acknowledged the sixteen of nineteen was very good as well. Yeah. It was um, it was a good night. So Mississippi State forces Georgia into thirteen turnovers. They commit ten themselves. Uh, I mean, eighty-four percent at the free throw line. And Georgia was fine at the line. They were ten to thirteen. You know, seventy-seven yeah. percent. Uh, a good win, A solid win last night for Mississippi State to get four, to four and six in the league, fifteen and eight overall. Uh, net ranking is, you know, it's kind of where it has been. It's Didn't fine. move. Uh, what forty? Yeah. Borky, you wrote it down here. Forty-four. 44. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 44,
4: Washington State still at 41, so that's still at the quad one win. Northwestern creeping up. They're at 55. If they can get into the top 50, that becomes a quad one win for State. Yeah, that
2: would be big. Their resume is, is good. Mississippi State's yeah. resume is good. They're just going to have to win some games down the stretch. And Yeah, uh, yeah they, the, that the that analytics starts, are good, yeah. Yeah, that, that starts with what they've got coming up. So i have got... Um, after last night's game against Georgia, got to go to Missouri on Saturday. That's uh, a Saturday night game. Missouri loses at home to Texas A&M again last night. And then the Bulldogs get a week off. And they will host Arkansas on February 17th. So that's two games in a row that they absolutely... Uh, they, they Look, I don't even know if there's such a thing as a resume killer. Those would be bad losses. But I think Mississippi State's resume at this point... Is solid enough that a loss to Missouri, a loss to Arkansas, it doesn't kill you. It's not a good loss. It's not great, but it's it's not a death knell either. And then after that game against Arkansas, they will uh, they'll get Ole Miss on February 21st at home. Uh, it's an ESPN two game at eight o'clock that night. That will be a big, big game for Mississippi State. It'll be a big game for Ole Miss as well, uh, but a huge one for Mississippi State. State an, in two and a half weeks. State
4: has an opportunity to be. They were favored, obviously, last night. They should. They should be favored in their next four. I think they'll be f- obviously be favored against Missouri and Arkansas. I think they'll be a, f- a small favorite over Ole Miss at home. Yeah. And then good. probably favored on the road at LSU. So if they can win the games they're favored in, they can they can put themselves in a position where they know where they're going to be on Selection
2: Sunday. I agree with you on the first three. I'm not entirely sure about the game at LSU. I think Mississippi State is mm-hmm. better than LSU, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Have to wait and, and see. then the yeah. um, so it's so it's eight games left on the schedule. It's those four that we just talked about, and then the closing four is more difficult than the next four. Kentucky,
5: mm.
2: Auburn on the road, A and M on the road, and South Carolina at home. That is a difficult closing stretch. For uh, for Mississippi State, hey, hey, then, will that be will that be another stretch of four straight quad one games? Uh, uh, will
4: at Texas A and M be? I'm not sure about that. I, I can't remember off the top of my head where Texas A and M is. What is Texas A and M in the net? Do you know? I send you guys a document where I have the net for the SEC. I don't have it all. I don't page. have it off. It's not up. Then pull it up six, and that would be. Well, that would take. If one of you has it up, it takes less time.
2: I was scrolling. Yes, that would a be a quad one. Part of your notes, Borky. Chill out. Forty six is where A and M is in it's the like net. So cool. yes, there we go. That is it's a... quad one. Then yes, that's
4: yes. South Carolina wouldn't be there. That you have to be top thirty at home, but and they're well, they're forty three right now. That South
2: Carolina team may continue to climb. They could. They could pull themselves up. Yeah, could uh, could very well be the case. All right. The Super Bowl is in three days. And so we're going to turn our attention to Las Vegas when we come back. Chad Brown will join us. Former Pittsburgh Steeler that played in Super Bowl 30. Uh, he is an interesting guy. His, his hobby is, uh, might give you the heebie jeebies. We'll ask him about it. Also played college football at Colorado. That's coming up next.
1: Here we go. Sports talk, Mississippi. Here's more. <laughs> Super
2: Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for joining us in the Pearl River Resort studio. We are uh, happy to have you along for the ride. I was looking back at uh, some of the numbers from Super Bowl Thirty. That was the Super Bowl that Chad Brown played in, who is scheduled to join us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Dallas won that Super Bowl, and uh, Barry Switzer was the head coach for the Cowboys. It was Bill Cower for the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. There are a couple of things that stood out to me, though, in looking at some of the notes from that game. One, it was played in a stadium that will never again host a Super Bowl, although it's one of the great vistas that you will find for stadia in uh, in America. It was at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe. And uh, also, Dick Inberg was the, uh, the lead announcer on the game. That was the um, uh, Cowboys. It was 1996, January of 1996. Chad Brown does join us right now. On the Farm Bureau guest line, uh, an All-Pro linebacker with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and other teams in the NFL. He also was a national champion at the University of Colorado. That not part of that 1990 national championship team. Chad, thanks for some of your time this afternoon.
6: Thanks for having me on. I certainly appreciate it
2: absolutely you you'll have to forgive me as i was reading about you and kind of some of your background there was one thing that that stood out more than anything else it's not the fact that you played in the super bowl or you won a national championship it is this love of reptiles that goes all the way back to the time that you were in college at the university of colorado there in boulder tell me more about this uh this infatuation with reptiles snakes in particular
6: well, uh, you know, I grew up in the hillsides of Southern California, so in my backyard, I caught snakes and lizards and turtles and frogs and all those kind of things, so uh, the fascination has been there since I was a child, and then uh, I'm going to date myself here. Before the Crocodile Hunter, there was Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yes. Um, I, I used to watch that show with Marlon Perkins, so he would be, you know, go all around the world and you know, capture lions in Africa and anacondas in South America. So, one of my favorite shows as a kid. And then my parents got me a subscription to National Geographic when I was seven years old. And uh, to be able to be in my little bedroom in Altadena, California, but to be transported into the jungles of Sri Lanka and look at a Sri Lankan Temple Viper in a photo in National Geographic—that uh, really just kind of spurred that interest. So, once I got uh, into college, University of Colorado. I got my first snake. Uh, I met a friend who ends up being a a lifelong friend at a local pet store there in Boulder. Uh, He invited me to his home. He was breeding snakes in his spare bedroom and in his basement and selling those babies all across the country, in some cases all around the world. So at that point, I started picking up more reptiles and became a reptile breeder and was selling my babies each spring and summer to students on campus and to the local pet stores and then once i got into the nfl I had some money in my pocket i built a reptile breeding business called pro exotic reptiles and for a while there we were one of the largest reptile breeders on the planet and we produce several thousand baby reptiles every year
2: wow um i mean you never know what is going to stoke the imagination and then turn it into a hobby and then uh, a business uh, as well uh do you still
6: have pet snakes uh, I've got about uh, 25 uh, reptiles in my c- collection, which I know most people would say that's an amazing number. course for a guy who once upon a time had thousands and thousands of reptiles, i got about 25. i got a couple of breeding projects I'm still working on, um, some things. Uh, I actually was on a trip to Indonesia uh, about 25 years ago, and I helped discover a new species of python. Um, and so I am working with that species, trying to be the first, private collector in the U.S. to breed that species. So, yeah, I'm still involved in a hobby in, in a few different ways, and I certainly have my animal shipping company. Ship your reptiles, ship your aquatics, so where I help folks in those hobbies ship their animals around the country.
2: You, I, I, I applaud your success, but if you'll forgive me, I'm not going to give you my address. I, I, I don't <laughs> need you to ship one of those to me. I could ask you questions about this all day long, but it's not the reason that we had you on. We had the re- uh, on you to talk about... Uh, this Super Bowl, and the thing that I'm most curious about, so they are on, uh, they're on Thursday of game week. There's been a uh-huh. week and a half since the last time these guys played. I don't think there was a week off between the, the conference championship game and the Super Bowl when you were playing. What are these guys doing at this point? H- have they gotten past all of the ticket requests and family obligations? And are they able to at this point really lock
6: in? I think starting tomorrow is when that kind of final lock-in process happens. You know, they got to town. They had to do the the, the media night uh, circus and do all that ridiculousness. And so you get caught up in that. Now, the teams are both staying out in Henderson, which is about, uh, you know, 25 minutes away from the Strip. So they're (laughs) a little sequestered away from the craziness down here on the Strip. Um, But I think the best coaches find ways – to keep their teams engaged throughout the week. If you install the entire game plan before you leave your your home city, then the players are going to sit in meetings bored because you're going over the same thing over and over and over, which they've probably been doing all season long. So I had a conversation with Bill Cowher uh, a few years back about his approach to it all, and he talked about holding something back from the install standpoint, from the game, uh, game planning standpoint, to have something new in the meetings every day once you got to the host city. Uh, so it could be a trick play on offense. It could be a new blitz on defense. It could be a fake on special teams. But something to get the guys engaged. Get something looking forward to, to practice where it's not just the same thing over and over and over again. Because you can kind of wear people down if you don't re-engage them from a mental standpoint and it just becomes repetition after repetition. And then I think the other thing is with that extended time between games, sometimes coaches can – do a little paralysis by over-analysis and start watching games from a few years ago and start diving too deep. You know what? These teams have played some good teams in the playoffs. Take a look at those games. Glean as much information from there as you can. But to go back to the Kansas City loss to the Lions in week one of this season, um, I think you can drive yourself crazy if you go too far down that kind of rabbit hole.
2: Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is the the headline-grabbing quarterback in this matchup, but the numbers for Brock Purdy, I mean, not just efficient, but really, really good. Uh, I love what Christian McCaffrey brings to the table for San Francisco. I love what that defense brings to the table, but I keep looking at the spread on this game and I see San Francisco favored and I'm like, I don't know that betting against Patrick Mahomes is the best plan. Are, Are you surprised at all that San Francisco is the favorite in this game?
6: I am a, a little bit, particularly how uneven they finished the regular season and how uneven they played in those two playoff games. Um, I, I know Kansas City had a very uneven regular season, but they did, they did the very rare thing where they were able to flip the switch once the playoffs started. Uh, that's very hard for a team to do. But when you've got the championship pedigree that Kansas City has, or when you've played in six consecutive AFC championship games that Kansas City has, uh, it's a very rare thing for a team to be able to pull off, but they were able to pull it off. They're they're playing their best ball now after kind of stumbling their way through most of the regular season. Wide well, receiver room left a lot to be desired. Travis Kelsey disappeared for long stretches. Patrick Mahomes trying to adapt himself to uh, yet a new style of offense with, yeah. you know, uh, Tyreek Hill being gone and all those kinds of things. Um, so I'm, I am a bit surprised th- with that because I think the now I don't understand, I don't even pretend to understand how the odds and all those things in Vegas are, are calculated. Are they really trying to say who's going to win and who's going to lose? Or are they constantly moving that spread around because they want to invite more dollars into the pool of money? Yeah. That people are going to vet. So I, I, I can't say, but in my mind, it doesn't line up with what I've seen the last couple of weeks and how I think this game is going to turn out.
2: Offense has changed since you were, were playing. Um, But I want to do this. I want to put you at that outside linebacker spot, and you are 100% healthy. And you get into a zone coverage situation where you have to cover either George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. Which of those two would you rather cover?
6: Oh, I'm taking Kittle every time over Travis Kelsey. Really? Travis Kelsey's ability to find the hole, his connection with his quarterback is just off the charts. Um, maybe if Kittle was in Kansas City, he would have that same kind of connection between he and Patrick Mahomes. Um, but it's so often when Travis Kelsey is finding that that hole in his own defense, he's just beginning to turn around. Well, Patrick Mahomes has already made the decision. The, the connection between those two is just off the charts, and that's what makes it so difficult to defend. Um, you know, Brock Purdy is not on that same level. He doesn't have the same level of experience. It would be difficult for him to be on that same level right now uh, that Patrick Mahomes is with the unspoken communication that needs to happen between a receiver and a quarterback when they're seeing the zone defense exactly the same way.
2: Chad, 30 seconds left. We're up against a hard break. i got to ask you, how much fun was it to watch the excitement return at your alma mater this year to, uh, to Colorado football?
6: Oh, Coach Prime has brought back a ton of excitement, you know, for a program that I was worried about five or ten years down the road that may not even be a program anymore. kept losing coaches. It was a stepping stone kind of university um, for Coach Prime to come in and solidify the program, to bring in the recruits that he has, the transfers that he has, the eyeballs, the attention. And plus those three wins last year really just, you know, kind of sparked the nationwide interest. The the community of Boulder and the university has brought in over $160 million due to the Coach Prime effect. That's
2: massive. Chad, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Really appreciate you visiting with us.
1: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Podcasts. More Sports Talk Mississippi. You ready, guys? On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: An interesting conversation, and what an interesting guy. Chad Brown played uh, in the NFL, first with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a second-round draft pick with Pittsburgh out of the University of Colorado. Spent about eight years in Seattle and then New England for a season and finished it up with uh, the Steelers and the Patriots. Two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Pro Bowler. Was on the All-Rookie team in 1993 and was part of that – Co-national championship team in Colorado back in 1990. Played for Bill McCartney. And none of that is the most interesting stuff about Chad Brown. He is an exotic <laughs> reptile breeder. Did you notice how quickly I was like, so do you still have any pet snakes? And he was like, I do still have about 25 reptiles. He didn't call them snakes. He called them reptiles.
3: May have yeah. a, a lizard or two, like a water monitor or something crazy like that. Gila. Gila.
4: Or is it Gila? Why, oh, yeah, has an iguana, it's Gila. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. what I said first. Yeah, those things are so, cool.
3: But I'm talking about like the the yeah. Asian water monitors that are the second biggest lizard behind the Komodo dragon. You can own those here in the states. I don't an think you Asian? can have dragons though.
2: You you can own those. Yeah, I,
4: I can't. I, I, I can't own those.
2: A, a pet Asian water monitor looks more like a. Uh, it's more like a That's somebody who, crocodile like,
4: hey than it does. I have an Asian water, water monitor water. in my home. I, I will never come to your home.
2: You never, want to see it? under any no. circumstances.
4: I, no, I, I, I don't.
2: Some, yeah, but my first thought is I hear somebody say I have an Asian water monitor in my home. And I'm like, is that like some kind of like... It's like one of those Japanese toilets. Like a bidet. System, or is that a bidet? <laughs> yeah, the Japanese toilets that play the music when you sit on them and all that. Yeah. No, it's not that at all. <laughs> Um, Don't sit on, on the, this thing; it'll it'll be a problem. On the ceasefire text line, somebody says he's just offsetting the hundreds of us that unalive snakes every time we come across them.
4: We need to hook Chad Brown and Will East up. They need to get together and and have a day together. A great segment. No, we we that would like be the, the YouTube East.
2: video that gets us a million views. Yeah, it might be. I mean, but I feel like yeah. even talking extensively with Chad Brown, Will East would. So he would have the a, uh, he would have a heart attack, I'm afraid. And yeah. that would be So the when I that when I was in, millions in a, of views.
4: When I was in college, I had a, a clip of Will's heart attack MP4. We have uh we, when I was in college, I lived with a guy. We had a
2: Cayman. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like snuggle with it on uh, the couch while you were watching games? No, it stayed
4: in the tank uh when we had it. So I used to feel really bad. We'd go by we go to the pet store to buy mice to feed it, right? And they give you the mice, and it's in a little box that says "Thanks for taking me home." And I'm like, buddy, <laughs> you got no idea what's coming your way. <laughs> mm. They sell them frozen and humanely euthanized. Yeah, not in 1996. They didn't.
3: Oh man!
4: So you God, just buy a couple so of cool. live ones and throw them in there. And uh, Cracker was his name, and he would he would he would, he would he'd dispatch them for you. And there you go. How large was Cracker? Uh, uh, Cracker was a probably about a little less than a foot, but he continued to grow, and eventually we had to give him away because he got too big for the tank. So there was a guy here in, uh, that, that dealt in exotic reptiles, so they, uh, my buddy sold him to him. Okay. Just released him out in the a refuge right now. Yeah. He could be in the Knoxville refuge as we speak right now. For all I know
2: i ask you guys the same question I asked Chad a second ago. Are you surprised at this point that um, the 49ers are favored in this game against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? Can't make sense of it. No.
4: No, I'm not surprised because the 49ers are better at almost every position except for two. Chris Jones is better than whoever you want to put across at that that same position. And then at the most important one, Mahomes is better than Purdy. But the the Niners – are a great, great, great team. They have talent at every position. They have top five NFL talent at like
2: 10, 11 positions.
4: And they've got a quarterback who doesn't make a ton of mistakes.
2: Who's the most important player on the offensive side for San Francisco on Sunday night? I think it's Debo. Oh. I was going to go Christian McCaffrey. I feel like...
4: The Chiefs, with that defensive line, they they can limit the running game a little bit, but Debo is just such a threat because he can do everything. He can run, he can catch, the, the, he, and, and you can use him as a decoy to get Ayuk and, and Kittle catches. He, he's just dangerous, dangerous player.
3: It is a demonstration to your point that Ayuk is the fourth option in the yeah. San Francisco offense where he would be a 1,600-yard receiver for the Chiefs this year.
4: I mean, if you put Mahomes on the 49ers, that team is 17-0, however many games they've played. I don't know. They don't lose. They don't lose.
2: This year, Christian McCaffrey ran for just shy of 1,500 yards with 14 touchdowns on the ground. And his receiving numbers were also really good let's see where's he where are the receiving numbers there they are um 67 catches for 564 yards and seven touchdowns I just feel like there's a lot they can do with Christian McCaffrey yeah he's exceptional
3: I'm excited for that offense to be using Alvin Kamara next year that'll be great but that's uh, that's next year not now um I mean they they, they move him around a lot that there's it's interesting. In basketball, they're, they're doing this thing now that they call positionless basketball, which isn't exactly true. You have guys that are that still play on the block and guys that are still guards, but you're kind of getting that in a way with San Francisco's offense. Kittle's a tight end, but they move him around a lot. They, they use him in all different ways. McCaffrey's a running back, but they move him around a lot. Debo's a wide receiver, but they move him around a lot. It's like almost like positionless offense with – the type of motions and stuff that they do, and the creativity with personnel, and it is a very, very fun offense. And, and I mean, I know it's what they get paid to do, but scheming against that has got to be just so frustrating. Because, okay, you stop McCaffrey. Well, there's Debo. Well, you stop Debo. Well, there's Kittle. Well, you stop Kittle. Well, there's Ayuk. I mean, what do you do? As as a, as a DC, you just kind of try to limit what you think you can limit the best
2: and hope that Mahomes can score with them. So four different players for San Francisco have 60 or more catches or had 60 or more catches in the regular season this year. But they don't have a guy with the high-end numbers that Kelsey has. He had 93 catches this season. And then the rookie Rasheed Rice for, uh, for Kansas City has been so very good. 79 catches for him. But after that, a really, really significant drop-off. The next most catches after those two is Noah Gray, the tight end with, uh, well, that's not true. Pacheco's got 44 catches out of the backfield, and then it's Noah Gray with 28. So more options. I thought Chad Brown's response to, would you rather face Kittle or Travis Kelsey? And he didn't even blink when he said Kelsey. Yeah. And it's as much because of the connection between Kelsey and Mahomes as anything else. There's just, there's so much institutional experience with those two guys. They know what each other is thinking. It's incredible, really. Who's more dangerous with the ball in the open field, Kelsey or or Kittle? That's
4: a great I mean, question. I mean, is that just 6-1? Thank you. Is that just 6-1, half a dozen of another? Quit Quit doing that. Quit doing that. Quit, quit setting him up with that. Uh, yes, it feels like it's a negligible difference.
3: What, what's funny, it, it sounds kind of goofy, but Kelsey, when he pitches the ball or throws it backwards, uh, I mean, that that is not something that just happened in the one game that got called back that had the internet up in arms. He does that
2: all the time. If he's getting tackled his, his to the ground... Field awareness is spectacular. It's
3: unbelievable. If, if he's getting tackled to the ground and Pacheco's behind him a couple yards and there's nobody near him, he'll just toss it to him. Here, go get 10 more yards.
2: It's crazy. Kansas City, as a defense, collectively had 57 sacks this year in the regular season. 10.5 for George Koloftis at one of the defensive end spots, and then 10.5 sacks for Chris Jones from his defensive tackle spot. I mean, that is just wrecking things on the defensive line. Jones had a total of 13 tackles for loss. That was in addition to the 10.5 sacks. uh, A little bit different than the way they score that in college, right? I mean, you get a sack in college that counts as a TFL, and the NFL TFL is different than a sack. That's how it should Um, be measured in college, too. Which is how it is. It's correct, yeah. The NFL does it correctly. Yeah. Uh, I agree. So, with Chris Jones, between TFLs and sacks, 23-and-a-half. And and for Karloftis, between sacks and TFLs, he had 17-and-a-half. That's a couple of guys that can wreck your backfield in a hurry. Uh, We will talk more about the Super Bowl, some of it pertaining to the game, some of it pertaining to uh, some of the more superfluous stuff that goes along. Like the halftime show, Brian Haydad's favorite part of Super Bowl Sunday. Sports Talk Mississippi will continue with you after this in the Pearl River Resort Studio. What
5: do they want?
1: Exciting news yourself more sports talk mississippi now now
2: Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. Thanks for being with us. So, first round of the WM Phoenix Open is currently suspended due to rain. I didn't know that it ever rained in Phoenix, but apparently it's raining today. Looks like it's going to get out of there before too much longer. So, first round suspended, but that is not the story In the golf world today. Uh, Bogota, Colombia. That's where the Corn Ferry event is happening. The Corn Ferry Tour's Astara Golf Championship is in Colombia. And there was a golfer today, Cristobal Del Solar, who shot 57 today. Wow. Orky, he, he went out in 27. He birdied one. Three, five, six, seven, eight, and eagled nine. Made a two on number nine to shoot 27 on the front. He birdied 10, eagled 12, birdied 14, and birdied 15 before a disappointing par, par, par finish. Yeah, that bum parred the last three for 57. He shot 57, and if you look at his golf swing, You think it belongs to a West Texas driving range pro. You
3: know what's amazing, though? This is is how my dad taught me and how I'm going to teach my son. Because you you look at, not everybody swings the same. Tiger's very violent swing. Jim Furyk's is all like, whatever the heck this is right here. But every single professional golfer looks the exact same at impact. Get it in the slot and get it squared impact. However you get there is how you get there. Just emulate. Pick something that you can do every single time consistently, but get to that spot. And he's got a goofy, like, it's closed at the top and it's weird, but when you pause it at impact, it is perfect. Just like it's
2: not just, it's it's closed on the takeaway, and then when he gets near the top of his backswing, he has, like, this weird wrap around almost like he's swinging a lasso, and then when he comes back down, he drops it in the slot and just explodes through impact. 57, it is tied for the lowest ever round in a professional golf tournament. Ireland's David Carey posted an 11 under 57 on a par 68 course on the Alps Tour in 2019. Never had a 57 on the PGA Tour or the European Tour. But uh, 57, that is that is big time on the golf course. It's incredible. I don't know if he's going to win the tournament or not. I mean, former Ole Miss golfer Jackson Suber playing on the Corn Ferry Tours down in Columbia, he shot a 62 today, and he's five back of the leader. That's pretty rough. That is That's a tough day at the office when you shoot a – 62, and you are, uh, you're five back. Um, hey, going back to Super Bowl 30, which I was mentioning before Chad Brown joined us a little while ago on the Farm Bureau guest line, how about that game being played at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe with Dick Enberg on the call for NBC alongside Phil Simms, Paul McGuire, Jim Gray, and Will McDonough? It's great cast. That's uh, it's pretty good. I mean Sims is probably
4: what? Only four or five years removed from retiring at that point?
2: Yeah. Something like that. So that was that was Super Bowl thirty. That was twenty eight Super Bowls ago. We had Super Bowl fifty eight coming up. This year the cost of a thirty second spot during the Super Bowl, thirty second television commercial is seven million dollars. It was expensive in 1996 when it cost 1.085 million so a 1,085,000 for a 30 second TV spot in Super Bowl 30 between the Cowboys and the Steelers 7 million for a 30 second moving video montage
3: it really is a shame that the commercials just – and it's not a nostalgia thing. You know some people say they're not making music like they used to. I say that sometimes. But if you want to find really good, like, rock music, you can still find it. It's out there. It's not as popular, but it's there. People are still making it. Super Bowl commercials aren't funny anymore.
4: They're not. They used to be. They're not yeah, funny anymore. That Paramount one's funny. Paramount one's good, but we've already seen it. And I don't understand why they released it, but yeah.
7: Hmm.
3: I mean, it used to be you couldn't miss them. Now you go through the entire game and think, I mean, there was a couple that were okay.
2: Jason Columbus says, yeah, but how good is the Texas Driving Range Pro 7-iron? Because I know a guy. Hmm. Oh, goodness, goodness. Uh, Steven Hurley says, I'm telling you guys now, Taylor Swift is going to perform at halftime with Usher. Bet on it. I don't think so. Maybe you're right. I don't think so, though, Steve. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back.
1: More Sports Talk Mississippi now. Now.
5: The
2: Southeastern Conference does a lot of things well, but I still think there is one thing that they are really, really missing on. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Two 18-hole championship courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. You can play both of them. Go to DancingRabbitGolf.com to book your tee time or plan your trip. That's DancingRabbitGolf.com. Dancing Rabbit is part of Pearl River Resort. The C text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet. Learn more at cspire.com slash business. That's com slash business. They have the SEC spring meetings every year uh, around Memorial Day in the 30A area, Sandestin. That's where they do them. And that is the time when the Southeastern Conference should roll out 14 large, oversized cardboard checks and they should present each school with one of those checks, like Happy Gilmore used to get when he would win a golf tournament. You remember he stuffed them all in the back seat of his car, wanted to yeah. take those checks to the bank and cash them. I think the SEC is missing an opportunity. It was announced today that the SEC will distribute a total of $741 million to its 14 current schools. That's an average of about $51.3 million per school. Do you know how much more fun it would be for Keith Carter and Zach Selman to be on the receiving end of a cardboard check that's about 3 feet, 4 feet wide and about 18 inches tall that says Ole Miss Athletics, Mississippi State Athletics, 51,300,000. Fifty-one, comma three zero zero, comma zero zero zero. That would be so much cooler. Yeah, that would be cooler. Yes, uh, there was a bank transfer that was initiated today in the amount of fifty-one point three million dollars. Congratulations on your money. Don't spend it all in one place. Unless you're Texas you think A&M somebody's like, yeah,
4: they there was t- Texas A and M like checking the app, like they're checking their banking app. There's like, is it hit yet? Is that hit? Yeah, we got to send a payment out today. That doesn't even cover Jimbo's buyout that they're paying him. Think about that for a second. Well, yeah, it's only year to year. So, but but yeah, they had to be like the person who like woke up this morning, like, maybe it's already in there. Go ahead and pay some bills.
2: (laughs) Raise your hand if you've been there. (laughs) My hand is raised. Um,. Inside the SEC, the most recent numbers that we've got from USA today, Alabama with the third largest budget in the country at 214 million, followed by Georgia at 203, LSU at 199, Texas A&M at 193, Florida at 190, Auburn at 174, Kentucky 159, Tennessee 154. A little surprised to see Kentucky's budget bigger than Tennessee's, but nevertheless Arkansas, twentieth in the country at one hundred and fifty-two and a half million. South Carolina, one forty-two. Missouri, one forty-one. Ole Miss, one thirty-three. Mississippi State, one ten. And those are the budgets from the SEC. Obviously, Vanderbilt not included because they're private and they don't report. So take a long time. Do you have Texas and Oklahoma
4: right there. When you get an idea of what they, they're dealing with. Uh, sure.
2: Because they're joining Texas. the SEC. I don't. I don't know if you knew. I, I, I've heard that uh, Texas in the Big Twelve. Um, where can I not find them. I've got it sorted by conference, but I'm not finding. It. Texas was number two overall. I'm sorry, I'm at a loss. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. There we go. Texas, two hundred thirty-nine million for Texas, and Oklahoma, 177. So Texas, number two overall in budget size. Oklahoma, number 10 overall in budget size. Of course, the revenue distribution is scheduled to go up significantly starting next year with the implementation of the new television deal. I I thought this was an interesting note. If you draw a line at total athletics department budget, In terms of who has a smaller budget in entirety than the SEC does in its annual conference distribution, you draw that line between number 67 and number 68. Old Dominion at 67, part of Conference USA, has a $53.4 million budget. Boise State, Mountain West, at number 68, has a $50.5 million budget. And they rank these down through 220, 232. So about 140 schools have budgets that are smaller than the SEC's distribution.
3: It's incredible.
2: And if you're curious, by the way, Southern Miss is currently at 125. Uh, their budget last year was twenty eight point three million. I guess that was for the fiscal year twenty twenty two. So about half of what the
3: SEC pays, Ole Miss in state, and that number will will increase. That's yeah,
2: soon soon to be less than half than the SEC distribution. But I will say this: over the last probably four or five years, Southern Miss's budget has gone up. Yeah, um, moved
3: to the Sun Belt was huge.
2: Yeah, it's gone from just shy of twenty five million up to twenty eight point three million. Significant growth. That it is. is not being absolutely. Flipped, it really is. I would love to know
3: the What, what ten twelve percent growth over yeah. the last four or five years. I my brokerage account would love that. Um, but the the cost per sport. It's something that, I mean, I I could sit down for a few hours and and dig that all up. But like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, for example, their budgets are smaller. Uh, I mean, State's got a budget that's less than half of Texas's. But Texas has more sports than we play here in Mississippi. So the the budget numbers are significant, and, and don't get me wrong, they've got more money than that of Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But they do also sponsor more sports.
2: They do. Yeah, we get got to spread it around. Ohio State's another example. They've yeah. got like 30-something sports that they play. So, yeah. Uh, and look, I mean, here, here's the crazy thing. So you've got Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss are two of the three smallest budgets in the SEC. And we don't know where Vanderbilt's is. We assume that Vanderbilt's is one of the smallest in the SEC. I, I suppose we could be wrong about that, but... It would stand to reason that Vanderbilt makes less in terms of revenue from season ticket sales and whatever else. Just smaller stadium, smaller alumni base, all those things. But the growth of the budgets for Ole Miss and Mississippi State over the last 15 years, at Ole Miss it's doubled. I mean, from... And, and i don't have the exact numbers in front of me we could find these we could dig them up but if you want to go from from 2010 to where we are now 2024 my guess is you've gone from 60 70 million to 140 million that's massive growth if you want to look at mississippi state over the last 15 years 110 million i bet they've gone from 50 60 million to 110 million in the last decade well certainly in the last 15 years, it's incredible growth for both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. And when you think about the success that the two programs have had, and and really in all sports, multiple trips to the NCAA tournament, lots and lots of bowl games, national championships for both in baseball, success in women's basketball, success in softball, success in men's and women's golf, men's and women's tennis, soccer, NCAA tournament trips for for all of them. The job that the leadership at both of these schools has done, with less with which to work than all of your conference mates, basically, is remarkable. It's incredible, the amount of success that Ole Miss and Mississippi State collectively have had over the last decade to 15 years, given the fact that they are in a league that includes, if you want to include Texas and Oklahoma, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the top ten budgets in all of college athletics. Eight, nine, nine, ten. 11 of the top 20 budgets. It's incredible. Kudos to the to the leadership on both the athletic side and the university side for committing to winning and figuring out a way to do it when the playing field is tilted. And the same for Southern Miss. Operating at a much greater disadvantage in terms of resources than – everybody else that surrounds them, and yet still finding a way to win a lot. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. To
1: see what a life can't you let be. And It's time to get real. Real Sports Talk for Mississippi. It's time for you to get real with it. Sports Talk Mississippi continues on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at SuperTalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. The show is brought to you in part by M Trade Park. Find them online at MTradePark.com. If you're going to play, play M Trade. Great facility. 14 fields that all have artificial surfaces on the infield and natural grass on the outfield, which means the downtime is basically none. You can play in the rain, you can play in the cold. Uh, as long as there's no lightning, you just can keep playing. And they are in tip-top condition as they roll into a new season. First tournament happening of uh, 2024 this weekend with the USSSA Baseball Tournament. Got fast pitch next weekend, another baseball tournament, the final weekend of February. Be sure to check out the schedule of all of the events that are coming up at M-Trade Park. Wherever you are in Mississippi, you can make sure that your son or daughter's team is playing at M-Trade Park. M-Trade if you're going to play, play M-Trade. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borke. Yesterday, we took a look at the predicted order of finish from Baseball America for the teams in the SEC. They had Ole Miss at 6th in the SEC West, and Mississippi State at 7th. Today, we got the uh, the release from the conference office with the coaches' predicted order of finish. In the East, they've got Florida winning the Eastern Division, followed by Tennessee and Vanderbilt, Tennessee getting two first place votes, Vanderbilt getting one. South Carolina in 4th place, Kentucky in 5th place, Georgia in 6th place, and Missouri is picked last in the SEC East. SEC West, coaches predicting that Arkansas is going to win the West this year. They've got they got 9 of the 14 first place votes. The other 5 went to LSU, the reigning national champion. Texas A&M picked third. Alabama, super regional team a year ago, picked fourth. Auburn has picked fifth. Ole Miss sixth. Then once again, Mississippi State picked seventh. The SEC champion, as predicted by the league's coaches, Arkansas with nine votes, three for LSU, and two for the Florida Gators. That's, of course, the regular season champion, not the SEC tournament champion. So, We've seen Baseball America, we've seen the ESPN coaches poll, we've seen the D1 top 25, all of them have both Ole Miss and Mississippi State unranked going into this 2024 season, obviously disappointing years, a season to go for both, with both missing the postseason. What does this mean? I I mean, like, I get on the surface level it means that Relatively speaking, the coaches and the people that cover the sport don't think that these two teams are going to be very good this year. Like, I I get that. But take it, let's take it a step deeper. What does it mean for two of the proudest programs in all of college baseball, two of the most supported programs in all of college baseball, two of the great stadiums in all of college baseball? Two places where it matters a lot. On the heels of missing the postseason, being picked to finish in the last two spots of their division going into a new season.
3: It's kind of Pollyanna or whatever, but it does very much demonstrate how difficult the SEC is. I mean, how many teams in the country would trade their roster for Ole Miss or Mississippi State right now? A ton. Yep. I mean, a ton in power conferences, quote-unquote, would change their roster for Ole Miss and Mississippi State's without even thinking about it. And their pick to finish last in their division.
4: You know, I spent all the football season, or all of the off season arguing against the predictions. And so everybody thought State was going to be bad, and I thought they were going to be good, and we saw how that panned out. I'm going to go with the predictions on this one. I'm just going to... I'll let it play out, but I mean, I get it. I get it. You've watched this team two seasons in a row for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss. Yes, they won a national title two years ago, but let's not act like prior to the start of the NCAA tournament that was a good team. They they struggled throughout the regular season. They they were we all know we, we they they made a thirty for thirty about it. They were the last team in. So Ole Miss is you know their their national title. Uh, Notwithstanding it hasn't been the two best regular seasons. I it just feels weird to say, I know. But I mean you, you get you get where they're coming from. So and you're asked, you know, what does that mean? It means when we get to May, at least one coaching search is gonna happen and maybe two.
2: I, I just I'm gonna continue to push back on you on that. I, I that's fine. I don't I don't think that's something that is I don't think it's anywhere close to in play at Ole Miss. I I, I just don't. Um, I'm not trying to put you in a corner or anything. But if they miss Hoover again, you don't think that seat's hot? I didn't say I don't think the seat's hot. And I certainly didn't say that it's not, there's not an uncomfortable conversation. But Mm -hmm. I don't think Ole Miss is going through a coaching search. Okay. Uh, uh, Unless Mike Bianco decides that. He's had a great run, and on his own he is ready to retire or he is ready to move on. Or some other college baseball program sweeps in and makes him an offer that he just simply can't refuse. I think those are the only scenarios where you see any sort of leadership change with Ole Miss baseball. Okay. I mean – I think it's much
4: much simpler here in Starkville. I think if you miss if you miss the postseason, it's time for a new coach. I, I don't see any any way you could go otherwise.
2: I understand that. But it's also another year, right? I mean Mississippi State didn't make a change last year. Yeah. Um they were you know, at the end of the season, they were not quite two years removed from winning a national championship. And so we stand here on February the 8th. Ole Miss is, what, 18 months removed from, yeah. winning, I, a champ- months say, removed from winning a national championship? I would say that had State
4: made a move last year, we all would have been like, we understand. We understand why they did that. Two years yeah. removed from a national title, back-to-back last place season, season season's missing a or whatever it is. Not acceptable at a program like Mississippi State. You can say the same for Ole Miss. Two years removed from a national title, then back-to-back finishes missing Hoover. Not acceptable for a program that puts it, as you said, where baseball matters and where you put in the, the amount of investment that these two programs have put. We haven't talked about Ole Miss and their, their schedule, uh, their stadium expansion that seems to be coming, their stadium renovation. The Elko statue is getting made. Uh, I mean, it's it's, it's I mean, the, the amount of money Mississippi State and Ole Miss have put into these programs is you you can't continue to miss. Never mind the NCAA tournament. Not getting to Hoover that can't be allowed to happen. At the rate it's happened this year, these past two years for state, and then if with Ole Miss, if they if they finish sixth in the
2: West, it's, they're going to be tight getting to Hoover. But you also could paint a picture of a Western Division that is so incredibly competitive that sixth in the West is good enough to be in the NCAA tournament.
4: You could. It'd be tough to not no, make Hoover. I, I, I and I agree. Make it would be hard. The tournament.
2: I, I agree. It would be difficult. But I, I mean, I think the SEC is that good. That's very good. I I do think if you're having to evaluate, and, and I, this applies to both. It applies to both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Y- you have to look at why. Why did 2023 go as poorly as it did for Ole Miss? Well, a big part of it is injuries. And I get that injuries are part of baseball. But Ole Miss lost last year its number one starter and its closer from the previous year, both of who were supposed to be back in pitching. Now... Does that make 10 games difference for Ole Miss? I don't know that it does that. But the combination of a healthy Hunter Elliott and a healthy Josh Mallitz makes Ole Miss a different team than it was a year ago, without question. In the same way that two years ago, a healthy Landon Sims makes Mississippi State a different team. Now, you cannot rely on that forever. And Ole Miss went out and they added some really important pieces in the transfer portal. I think pitching is the thing that you're watching most closely for Ole Miss, especially with the loss of, here we go again with an injury, Xavier Rivas, just last Friday night. So one of your expected weekend starters is out for the year after the UCL tear. But will some of those young guys that pitched and got experience a year ago, will they take a step forward? And – these pieces that they have added position-slash-offensively in the transfer portal, what kind of an impact are they going to make? Certainly, it wouldn't be the first time that we have seen a team from Mississippi in any sport finish above their where they were predicted to finish going into the year. Talk more about that when we come back.
1: Are number one for Sports Talk. Anyone? 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 Come on, don't be shy. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Bingo, man. Bingo. Super Talk, Mississippi. <laughs>
2: Ned, you mentioned that we had not talked about Ole Miss's stadium expansion. Literally four minutes ago, five minutes ago now, I got an email from Ole Miss Athletics with the official announcement of the baseball stadium renovation plan. Uh, it's part of the Champions Now campaign. They've officially announced expansion plans at Oxford University Stadium. New club section down the third baseline. Increased entrance to the venue, and a plaza to honor the Rebels' first baseball national championship team. The project will add approximately 450 premium seats, and it will begin immediately after this season and will be completed for the 2026 season. Um, This is different from what they originally announced was going to happen in terms of baseball construction. They were going to do, they were going to redo left field. They were going to redo students in right field. They were going to expand down the third baseline and they were also going to do the building out on the tennis courts beyond the right field. You know, it would be a baseball facility and would have some premium seating that kind of overhung the students beyond the right field wall. Um, uh, in this release, it says, um, this is a quote from Keith Carter. Based on the pace of fundraising and trends in the college athletics industry, we will continue to explore the other planned projects at OU Stadium in the future. Which to me just says they're putting pause on the outfield stuff because the outfield stuff doesn't produce revenue. Exactly. That's but these 450 Exactly how things seats, should be. Um, yeah, I mean, these 450 seats, in addition to the cost of a season ticket, I'm guessing here, I don't know this number exactly, but will produce an additional two to $3,000 per seat per year. And if you do the math on that, that's the money that largely will fund the payment for the expansion. And so you're not having to dig out of your other back pocket to try and pay the note on the expansion of the stadium. You are creating revenue-producing inventory. Yeah. Because I saw some of the reaction was, well, the students
3: deserve better. The students, and, you know, in a perfect world, the, their section can certainly be upgraded and move closer to the fence and all that. But what do you mean deserve better? They, they have it pretty darn good out there. They get in for free. They get to bring their own coolers filled with whatever they want to put inside of them. I, I think they're fine. And they don't generate a dollar of revenue when they enter the gate, I just—I don't know. I mean, we don't need to call, coddle the the students. They deserve better. They look really darn happy out there to me. I, I don't know. I just—it looks like a be good happy. time, and I think they'll be okay for another few years, sitting on their their chairs and drinking cold beer that they got to bring in themselves.
2: Drinking,
4: throwing—you mean?
2: Well, all of the above. I think there's Wasting. a little bit of both that happens out there. Um, I would love to eventually see that left field area and the right field area come down to either field level or fence level. I mean, you know whether whether or not you want to bring it down to you know halfway up the outfield fence where people can kind of stand and lean over the wall and have a great view into the stadium, or you want to take it all the way down to ground level and change the composition of the fence from solid to a, a you know a, a see through deal. I think that would create a really, really cool environment. But those seats don't generate the same type of revenue. 450 seats at 2500 bucks a pop plus your season ticket is another $1.125 million in baseball-related revenue. They will sell every one of them. And I don't know what the cost on this expansion is. Um, I have no idea what it is. I haven't even seen a projection. Like, if I was just guessing based on rising construction costs, I'd guess somewhere in the 20 to 30 million range, maybe a hair less, maybe a hair more. And so you're going to have to service that amount of debt and that million plus generated by those seats will come really close to paying the note annually that is due from the university on that construction. By the way, the uh, the renderings that they included in this email um, are better than some of the ones that were floating around earlier. Like, when you first saw this, it was hard to tell. Actually, it wasn't okay. hard to tell. The, the new extension down the third base line looked like it was going on a straight line as opposed to being kind of... Curved or angled back toward the foul pole. I actually asked Keith Carter about that on Saturday. He said, "Yeah, it's just the way the artist drew it." But it absolutely since one of the things they focused on was that they will try to bring fans closer to the field, and so those grandstands will narrow toward the foul pole, much the way much the way they do on the the right field side. So that makes sense. Um, people love it. I mean, whether you're talking about Ole Miss or State, I mean, hey, Dad, the, the, those seats behind home plate sold out in a second at Mississippi State. The um, mm-hmm. what do they call it? What's the the name of the club? The behind the the plate? Yeah, Triple Crown. Yeah, the Triple Crown Club. It's packed, and mm-hmm. they could sell a gazillion of those seats. And they sold the lofts out beyond the left field wall with, with Ole Miss. There's a waiting list for Diamond Club seats. There's a waiting list for dugout club seats. That's the reason they're doing this. There, There is a demand. I actually asked, I was curious about football premium seating. I don't know what the answer is at State. My assumption is that there is high demand for that. I know, though, that at Ole Miss, there is an extensive waiting list for people that want to purchase skyboxes. There is an extensive waiting list for East Side and South Zone Rebel Club And there's a waiting list for the the end zone club, or whatever it's called, down low. The seats that Borky hates that are never completely full where the students used to be. Yeah, those are terrible. They are, but people love them. The people that sit there love them. They don't sit there. That's the problem. Yeah, well, some do. Most do. They're there somewhere. They just aren't necessarily in those seats. Yeah. One
3: downside to the the NIL era is that you're not going to get fancy stadium projects very much anymore. Those are going to be not as many, not not as many. And, and when you get them, they're going to be ex- like just straight up premium seating, revenue generating, as opposed to tearing down a stadium and building it from the ground up. Kansas being an exception because their stadium was so bad that I mean they would rather play at a local high school uh, than than in that place. But because the state did I a do, good job, there, there's continuity with the stadium. It all looks like it's it's in uniform. It all looks really good. Vaught Hemingway looks terrible. It, it
2: just it does. It looks terrible, and in the North End everybody knows that. And I do think, and or I should say, I'm led to believe that they have decided instead of piecemealing another renovation with Vaught Hemingway Stadium and trying to kind of put a Band-Aid on it, they want to keep it functional and then do it right. Yeah. When they do the West Side expansion, the the, the West Side of Vaught Hemingway Stadium, they're going to completely tear it down and rebuild it. And the student section, too, is going to get a weird,
3: not a weird, it looks very, very good. It's just going to, like, they're going to cut it out in the middle. And oh, the renderings look fantastic if that day ever comes, which we'll see if this era of the day allows that, is allowed to ever come. But, I mean, you're seeing, though, by the way, that you don't need a fancy stadium to get players. I mean, you never really needed one, but you especially don't in this era.
2: And regardless of what your stadium look like, looks like if it's full, look it feels and, great. And the product on the field is compelling; it's great. Yep. Because um, you've got
3: programs with great facilities and beautiful stadiums that can't get players to go there, and you've got programs that are, are lacking a little bit in certain areas, and they get players to go there. It's it's almost as if having a uh, putt putt course at your facility is not. You know what players really are looking for when they're choosing your school. Yeah. And they only use the stadium seven times a year.
7: Sure.
2: Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. You can join us on the Seaspire text line at 601 879 4395. Somebody said share the pictures of Ole Miss's expansion on Twitter, Porky. I'll forward you the email. Yeah, Borky. Uh, Say please,
3: (laughs) or give me five dollars. I'm not tweeting on command for you, sir. But yeah,
2: we'll send you the
3: we'll send you the link.
2: Uh, I get a message from Southern Miss fan. They got to expand Pete Taylor Park soon. Sold out season tickets for the second straight year, which is a big deal at a non-SEC school. It's a big deal at any school. And the demand for Southern Miss baseball continues to be exceptional. And Southern Miss may have to look at something similar to what we were talking about with Ole Miss. They may have to figure out a way, you know, if there is a stadium expansion, a significant component of that will need to be premium seating that generates revenue that helps pay for the expansion. And... I would guess that there is demand for that there at Southern Miss, the way there is at most places, and that probably would be the route today. You just got to be smart. You got to be smart with your dollars, um, as best you can. Sports talk, Mississippi. We'll wrap up the four o'clock hour. Coming up next.
1: This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
5: Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. Love me, Do." I think it wasn't from there, it didn't take him long.
2: Donald in Oxford wants to see better food options at Swayze. He says the food they serve is awful. I responded to him. I was like, I mean, if you stick with hot dogs, nachos, and beer, you're pretty good to go. (laughs) I mean, they kind of taste like all the stadium nachos and hot dogs. So, Yeah, when I go to like a professional
3: sports game, I expect really good food options. If I go to a major college football game, I expect there to be something... You know, good. But when we're talking about baseball, just give me a hot dog and a beer. Maybe a box of popcorn for the little man. And, and, and I'm good there.
4: Some peanuts and Cracker Jacks, perhaps.
3: Peanuts and Cracker Jacks are great.
2: I went to a basketball game. Hey, that it. It was the, uh, the old Mississippi State game. Yeah. And uh, ran out and grabbed a, you you did hot dog, a hot dog and some nachos. And I'm sitting there holding the nachos and. Jane's not a big nachos and cheese girl, but she grabbed a chip and dipped it in, took one bite. She goes, that cheese is awful. It's just gross. And I was like, what is wrong with you? That is the same cheese that has been served with nachos at basketball, football, and baseball games Forever. since I was, uh, you know, n- knee out of a grasshopper. It's upper. barely cheese it's by w- definition. It's not. It's it's, just cheese.
4: Cheese with a Z. C H E E Z. It's not even cheese. What are we talking about? It's cheese is awful. Like it's like it's brie or gruyere. It's freak. It's it's more chemical. God played no role in the creation of that substance.
2: That was amazing. Though, I bet if he tried it, he'd love it.
4: Oh, it's delicious. I didn't say it was bad. It's
2: just not cheese. So so you there are, are no not cows involved. You, you no. are not blaspheming against the nachos no, and cheese no. served at sporting events. Delicious.
4: I okay. if you if you if if you and I are at the game, you're like, "You want some nachos?" Go get
2: some nachos. I'll eat nachos absolutely. Extra jalapeños, please. You ever see that yeah. package that it comes in before they stick it in the The plastic container where they press the
4: button. You are seeing the the, the cans? It comes in like these red
2: cans. (laughs) They just cut it out and throw it in there and let it it melt down a little bit. I think that's the old school way. I think there's a far more efficient way to do it now. uh, I think it's like disposable bags. (laughs) Thank God for science that it's made it easier
4: to get our fake cheese into our mouth. It's still delicious, though.
2: I want to share this tweet from Southern Miss Men's Basketball. Uh, we are overwhelmed by the outpouring of prayers, love, and support that our family has received from the Southern Miss community, Mississippians, South Louisianians, friends, family, and coaching colleagues across the country. We are so thankful for your support and hope to respond individually to each of you in time. We also want to commend the staff and physicians of Forest General ER in Hattiesburg for their quick and professional attention that saved Jay's life. At this time, Coach is in great spirits and resting. Many of you have offered so much help, but right now the most important support that Coach Ladner and our family needs is to see huge crowds and fan participation in the coming home games. Please support your Golden Eagles at Reed Green over the next few weeks. Thank you all to the top from the Ladner family. Great news about the fact that Coach Ladner is doing well. Um, we saw in the uh, the message yesterday from Jeremy McClain that he is expected to make a full recovery. That line in there, where they thank the hospital staff and physicians for saving his life, is a bit unsettling. <sighs> yeah. no- nonetheless, wonderful news. But his wife he was is, saved, so yes, that's indeed. Good. No, no, I'm I'm glad that they were there to do the saving that needed to be that needed to occur. Um. Ooh, just a reminder, though. Blink of an eye, things can change for you. So good news that he's home and he's resting and he's with his family and is in good spirits and is doing well. And uh, here's to a speedy and full recovery. Yeah. So great news. Great news on that front. And his team got a win last night. Yes. Yes. Uh, Somebody says cheese
3: product, not cheese. Man, I remember Correct. one day I caught—I didn't caught—I just happened to see the eggs at breakfast at my fraternity house getting made, and they were—they were the powdered eggs. And buddy, oh, I, I cannot fathom that I spent four years eating. You that paid stuff. enough
2: dues in fraternity to get to eat real eggs. Well, I mean, I don't think it's fake, I... brother. Eggs have shells. Real. Yeah. And they get cracked and spilled on into the pan None. or into a bowl or the skillet. I mean, if you need Not to make the, them go a little to farther. drink an egg. Yes. If you need to make them go farther, you may supplement with milk. Yeah.
4: Powdered eggs? Yeah, gross.
2: buddy.
4: Yep. Powdered us. eggs and cheese with a Z. We, mm. we, we ate the like the military. Thing. Not the same d- thing.
2: Hey, Dad. Not the same thing. No, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. By the way, I I don't know about on the fraternity side. I do know on the sorority side, the uh, the food options at sorority houses have, like they have gourmet chefs now. It's unbelievable. They eat like queens. We'll be back, 5 o'clock hour. College Football Fix is next.
1: Sports Talk, Sports Talk Mississippi, to the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: 5 o'clock hour. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you this afternoon in the Pearl River Resort Studios. We will start this five o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Happy to be joined by former Mississippi State linebacker Jet Johnson. Tupelo native called Starkville home the last few years. And all he did in the last two years that he was eligible was make 245 tackles, 130 tackles this past season, 115 in 2022. And oh, look, Jet Johnson just made another tackle. Jet, thanks for some time this afternoon. Great to catch up with you. How are you, my man?
8: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having me on. Uh, I truly appreciate it. A- absolutely, I got to tell you, I was an
2: early adopter. Um, so, so kind of like the genesis of this show. I, I live in Oxford. Brian haydeb lives in Starkville. Michael Borky's in Jackson. I thought with a name like Jet Johnson, it couldn't go wrong. I was sad when uh, you chose to go somewhere other than Ole Miss, but man, it worked out for you. What a- what a run over the last five years for you?
8: Oh yeah, I mean it was truly a blessing to. Uh... Playing the maroon and white, uh, as most people know, I grew up a state fan. Uh, dad took us to games all the time, had season tickets ever, ever since I was a little boy. And, and so it was really an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Um, you know, went through some rough patches there early, but the Lord had different plans and, and, uh, was able to, to, uh, you know, have a successful career, uh, there at Mississippi State and, uh, loved every minute of it.
2: Jet, why why are you as good of a tackler
8: as you are? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I guess I go low. Uh, get the legs. It's hard for people to run if, if if they if they can't pick up their legs. You know, I don't know if I'm the, <laughs> the hardest hitter uh, per se, but um, you know, uh, Coach Brock and 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 Coach Arnett and them, you know, they say once I get there, it's it's a pretty good bet they're going to go down and and uh, I just pursued the ball hard and take my shot and 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 fortunately a lot of a lot of times they went down so
4: Jet you played for a, we'll be be generous and say a number of defensive coordinators in your time <laughs> at Mississippi State one of the things I thought was one of your strengths was I felt like you you were an extension of of those guys on the field as a coach I thought that your strength was you knew where the play was going a lot of times before before the ball was snapped. Is there something about maybe working for different coaches and, and playing for different coaches that you allows you to pick up more of the game than maybe somebody who plays for somebody just for four years?
8: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's two ways you can look at that. You could you could sulk and be like, Goodness, I have to learn a new scheme, learn how to this this guy coaches, you know, and, and kind of be like, Whoa is me or you could just you know, look at it, look at it positively and be okay. I can take, you know, the coaching tips I really like from this coach, uh, the, 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 the things that he said, you know, that really helped my game. And then I can, you know, and just kind of take from, from each coach and, and, uh, what you like and, and really apply it year in and year out. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, things Coach Lukabu said, Coach Marr, Coach Shoup, uh, Coach Abrog, you know, Coach Arnett, and just kind of, pick and choose for the things I like, uh, and it really helped me, uh, you know, learning different schemes and stuff and how defense flows and works as a whole and, and how different coaches look and teach different offenses. Uh, it really helped, and and honestly, it was a blessing in disguise to, to have, uh, you know, a few different coaches, and, uh, you know, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but... I kind of try to look at it positively and, and take, uh, you know, like I said, coaching points and, and stuff from each coach uh, and, and apply it to my game.
2: Jed, obviously, you want to take the, the next step. You want to play professionally, getting ready for the uh, the NFL draft, or uh, visiting with Jed Johnson, former Mississippi State linebacker, who's got uh, a big couple of months in front of him. What's your day-to-day right now as you, you get ready for that opportunity so that you can be the the best and present the absolute best version of you to all of the NFL teams that are, are taking a look?
8: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm down here in Miami training with uh, Pete Bomaritos. Uh, Pete and his staff, and they've done a phenomenal job. I'm going on week four right now as we speak. Um, a day-to-day for me... Uh, It's pretty long. Uh, We, you know, wake up, you go to the facility, and you do uh, what's called medical, which is like uh, it varies from day to day. It could be massage. uh, It could be Hypervolt, uh, Normatec boots, which are like compression boots, uh, physical therapy, chiro, acupuncture. Uh, You do about an hour of that, and then you go out to the field with Pete and do uh, speed work. Um, then you go back to the facility, uh, after that and do more uh corrective stuff, um uh upper body, lower body corrective stuff, spine, all that. Uh, and then in the afternoon you have a pretty intense long lift and then you do more body stuff. Uh you watch film of the runs, uh kind of technique stuff. Hmm. And um uh, uh, after that, you know they make sure your nutrition and supplements and all that are down to a T. It's it's very scientific. Uh, it's very he, Pete's been doing it a long time, and he does a great job. And his staff is phenomenal, and it's just down to a T. And and they're working the heck out of us, and and I've really enjoyed it. So so are these workouts
2: designed specifically for the position you play, or are they designed specifically to prepare you for pro day and draft analysis?
8: Yeah, so on Tuesdays and Fridays, we'll go out to the field instead of doing speed work, we'll do uh, position drills, which is like drills they'll do at the combine and pro day and all that. And so um, uh, those are the days we'll do position-specific stuff. And then um Monday Thursday Friday we'll do like speed training and this and I was like you know struggling at first you know it's a little different and Pete was like you <laughs> I mean you lead the SEC and tackles in two years but this is for two years in a row you know basically he said this is this is not football this is track and uh huh. so we gotta you've gotta kind of eradicate that football mindset right now and switch to a track mindset and uh you know it was difficult at first but he's exactly right like we're training for the forty and stuff and, and all this is track stuff and so it was kinda difficult at first to switch that mindset uh to to run better and all that which uh, you know I feel like I've transitioned uh fairly well and, and doing a lot better so I'm enjoying
4: it. tell us about your partnership with Buki Watson because for the last two years you guys have just dominated tackling in the SEC, mm-hmm. led the league in tackles two straight years. You know, was it more than just a partnership? Did did it have more more of like a brotherhood to you?
8: Oh, absolutely. I I, I talked to Buki um, every other day at least. Um, talking to him while was in Mobile. He's in he's in Phoenix training right now. Him in uh, Crumity. Uh, and and that defense. Uh, we've been in it for three years. Uh, obviously. Well, yeah, three years and. So we got real comfortable in it. Uh, he and I could kind of do our own thing within the play call. Uh, and, and you know, credit to the to the guys around us, the D-line, uh, the secondary, all that, because we can't do it just, just he and I, you know. And so we just had a good feel for things. I think we got very comfortable, so it took a lot of thinking out of it, and we were just able to to read and react and just fly around to the ball. And, and, and I think uh, – you know, I think neither one of us were too cool to not to run to the ball and this and that. And so uh, we were able to, uh, you know, reap the benefits of, uh, you know, training hard, watching a lot of film, and and uh, just pursuing the ball.
2: All right, Jeff, the most important thing I'm going to ask you, you've been in Miami for a month, you said, training, getting ready. I understand you've got priorities. Have you eaten at Joe's? Have you been to Joe's Stone Crab
8: yet? No, sir, I have not.
2: Oh, Jet, you got to do it. You got to do
8: Case, it. David Case, uh, was, who is was our head equipment manager, um, was at the University of Miami for, for a number of years, and he said I had to try uh, Flanagan's. That's a South Florida uh, restaurant.
2: Well, there are a lot of places you're not going to go wrong down there, but I, I feel like as long as you're in Miami, you, you got to go to Joe's one time. You may have to splurge. I know you're on a diet right now, you got to try the key lime pie. The the Lyonnaise, which is like a potato salad type thing that goes with it. It's just phenomenal. I promise I'm not leading you wrong on that front.
8: Yeah, I'll definitely try it. All right, Pro
2: Day, just around the corner. I'll go rapid fire. We got uh, about a minute left. Uh yeah. your prediction, how many times on the bench press for two
8: twenty five? Uh, it's hard to tell right now. I don't know any I don't know any numbers right now, uh, per se. We've just been doing a lot of a lot of uh, you know, getting ready for it.
2: You were coached to answer it that way. You're not supposed to give anything away, right?
8: <laughs> I would if I knew the numbers.
2: There you go. Um, do you feel like you'll run well? Do you feel like this track stuff has paid off and, and will pay off in that 40 time?
8: I feel like I'll run run better. I'm not going to blow anybody away by any means. Uh, but, obviously, my my numbers speak for themselves, so hopefully they don't judge me just entirely off of a 40-yard dash, you know?
2: Jet, it was an absolute pleasure to watch you play the game that you love for the last few years, and we wish you nothing but the best as you uh, you attempt to continue that journey. Good luck to you, and stay safe and stay well.
8: Yes, sir. Thank you all so much uh, for having me on.
2: Absolutely. Jet Johnson, we'll be right back.
1: Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Oh, the ceasefire text line is popping. 601-879-4395. Tyler and Corinth, you'll never have to worry about powdered eggs again with your own chickens, Borky. That's true. Um, As it pertains to the uh, food at sorority houses, they eat like queens, as they should. We also got a message. What does Richard know about sorority house meals? Well, let me tell you. My wife was in a sorority at Ole Miss, and so I dined there regularly. Now, it's been a while. She was – so we're talking like 2004, 2005, 3, 4, 5, somewhere in there. But I made friends at the Cooks. And on my way to class, I would go by the side entry door to the tri Delta house that the – staff worked in and out of. And the, uh, the sweet lady would have a plate wrapped in aluminum foil ready for me that she would hand out the door to me that usually was cinnamon rolls. Occasionally there would be bacon or something else on there, but the cinnamon rolls were a constant, and they were amazing. But my wife also has... A bunch of college girls that work for her and with her at the store, and I listen to them talk and like. My wife kind of keeps up with what's going on at the Trydel House. I'm just telling you, they they eat really really well. Um.
4: Meanwhile, this is, over there with powdered eggs.
3: Powdered eggs. Uh, but the the purpose of the fraternity house and the purpose of the sorority house are two very different things.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you're still paying for your meals. You ought to be a meat Right, able to eat
3: And, and, uh, and uh, other, they, they did well. They, they certainly did well, but uh, there was
2: that. Uh, we get a message here. Says, uh, ballpark nacho cheese, literally real cheese, boys. And he sends us a picture of Rico's gourmet nacho cheese with the ingredients. Here they are. Cheese whey, water, modified food starch, vegetable oil. Cheddar cheese, and it contains one percent or less of jalapeno peppers, sodium phosphate, salt, natural flavors, monosodium glutamate, distilled vinegar, MSG, sodium, etc. Oh, that's MSG. Yeah. You know what that sounds yeah. like? More than cheese. Sounds like cheese yeah. to me, buddy. It sounds no, like cheese. The ingredients in cheese are milk, whey. That's about it. And they had both of those, among other well, things. <laughs> when you add other stuff,
4: you know, if you have bread, it's bread. But when you, once you put
2: peanut butter and jelly on it, it's a sandwich. It's, it's not bread anymore. Dave and Ripley, how drunk do you have to be to eat powdered eggs? Good gracious, man, he says. <laughs> Couldn't even get egg beaters. Oh, here's another one. Get... You thought <laughs> to tell you how bad fraternity life was for Borky. I served 23 years in the army. I never ate powdered eggs. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. JP and Pasquigula says we feed our chickens their own eggshells. They need calcium. It's a win-win.
4: The cannibals.
2: Are you uh, are you team eggshells down the garbage disposal or do you dispose of them into the uh, wastebasket? People put eggshells down eggs? the garbage disposal. Okay, since I asked the question, yes,
4: I'm, I'm just taken back. I, I mean, straight to the trash can. When I crack eggs for well, if I need an egg, I throw the eggshell away. Yeah, oh, you don't I just, just toss them
7: in the into sink. the sink. No. No.
2: This is apparently a thing. Somebody asked me I, in fact I was doing a radio interview with it was an SEC um like SEC radio series XM thing. And it was like Alyssa Lang and Chris Budden were hosting, and somehow they got into this conversation and Alyssa was complaining about her husband throwing eggshells into the garbage disposal. And I was like, What's wrong with that? It's the only thing I've ever done with eggshells. Yeah, I throw them in the trash.
4: I put if I'm cracking eggs, I move the trash can over to where I'm cracking the egg, crack the egg, throw the, cra-
2: in the in the trash. What's the point of having the garbage disposal? That's when you squirt off your dishes.
4: Small things. It's, yeah, eggshells in there? Yes.
2: No. Have you ever looked the, way, the blades almost- inside a garbage disposal? You don't think those things can handle eggshells? I'm not putting an eggshell in
4: there. No, they go in the trash. All right, Alyssa Lang, who of course got marital advice from Mike Leach,
2: Seaspire text line. Great, yeah. uh, do you put eggshells down the garbage disposal? Man, I had to
3: pay somebody to come out because I, I even got a uh, what do they call it a snake or whatever, and, and the the clog was too far down. And so I had to pay somebody to come out to go all the way down. And, and they put like 100 feet worth of this to, to get this clog out. And it was because people, he's like, what do you put down the garbage disposal? I said, basically nothing. I'd throw most all of the food away. And he's like, okay, it must have been old previous owner. But things like shells, you know, shrimp shells, stuff like that will we'll get stuck in there. And he's like, that's the mo- majority of the calls that I make. So I've kind of been paranoid ever since because I don't want to have to
2: you know, do that again. Somebody says you're not supposed to put eggshells in a disposal. Why not? This
4: isn't a big issue for me though. Again, because I don't eat eggs, I just put them in the trash can. I eat eggs all the time.
2: Love them. I don't like eggs. Somebody just said plumbers will tell you that food should never go in the disposal. Again, what's the point of the garbage disposal if food that, doesn't yeah, go one, down? I'm, like I'm it. buy into. Yeah, uh, that now, I, I can't get behind. I did. I did draw the line the other day. We were making mashed potatoes and one of the kids had peeled the potatoes and they put all no, of the again. potato peeling in the sink. And I no, actually not. I got it out of the sink and put it into the into the trash can. Yes. You should
4: peel potatoes over a bowl and then you put the peels go in the bowl. Yeah, in the bowl, you just whatever. dump it in the trash. That's how that's how I roll. Or you drop those in oil.
2: You can. You can make snacks with them, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Any anyway. little barbecue rub on there? Yeah, buddy. I had A good conversation with Jed Johnson. I was uh, I was disappointed he didn't want to give us a prediction on bench press reps. He had been coached not to say don't. He somebody told him don't tell anybody what you think you're going to do. Yeah, don't you agree? Agreed. Yes. And I, yeah, and I realized I, I, I realized hey, that after he would not tell us that he wasn't going to get close to predicting a 40 time, so I didn't even ask.
4: No, nah, no, nah,
2: there's no point, so hmm. jed Johnson's another one of those where he
4: you he opens his mouth and a coach's voice comes out.
2: Yes, wonder if he's
4: got coaching in his future if if yeah, I would think so, I would think so. Somebody who read the game as well as he did you feel like he he, he if he can teach it, then yeah. yeah, the only thing with him is and I mean just because you heard the interview right, soft-spoken guy, really nice guy. Every time I interviewed him, always had a smile on his face. Obviously a great linebacker for State over the years, so he knows how to to, to be physical and and play aggressive, but I I just can't picture Jet Johnson yelling at anybody. He's just such a nice guy.
2: Yeah. Right up until the point that they blow the whistle, and then he goes into attack mode. Which is, I suppose, how it should be. Yeah? Yeah. Somebody says, in addition to toilet flushes, clogged disposals are why Super Bowl Sundays are the busiest day of the year for plumbers. Is that true? Super Bowl Sunday, the busiest no day idea. of the year for a plumber?
4: I think it would be Cinco de Mayo. Gee.
2: Or the next day.
4: Siete de Mayo? I don't know what it is. Yeah. Says
2: <laughs> Cinco seis, seis de Mayo. Siete. Say. Se, de Mayo. Uh, you are disgusting. <laughs> I'm assuming that the busiest day of the year for plumbers is whatever year you have, the whatever day yeah, of the year you have the hard freeze and pipes start bursting. Yeah, that's probably one. that. That's Maybe when it gets... after Thanksgiving,
4: I don't know. That's when it gets ridiculous. Black Friday?
2: Uh... <laughs> you... You are a sick human I mean, being sometimes. You know that, what? don't you? People go to the restroom, man. What do you want? I, I am aware. It happens. I, thank you. All I'm right? aware. I, I am aware. I am also <laughs> aware that we thankfully are coming up on a uh, on a break. Hey, how was Coleman Hutzler last night on Thunder and Lightning on the radio? It
4: was good. It was good. Good, good to finally get to talk to him and, and get an idea of what he's uh, bringing to Starkville. So, got his thoughts on Sabin too. He was very said he was very surprised.
2: By the, uh, the retirement of Nick Saban. Yeah. How about that? Um, we got more coming up with you. Sports Talk, Mississippi, and the Pearl River Resort Studios. Check them out online at pearlriverresort.com.
1: talk Mississippi sports sports talk Mississippi you know i love sports On super talk mississippi
2: I have a serious question for you guys, um, and this some might construe this as political. I don't. I don't want to go down the road of content of the interview. I just have a a Twitter slash X question. So, eleven minutes ago, Tucker Carlson posted the interview that the, the sit down interview that he did with Vladimir Putin. After some period of time passes, will that end up being? the most watched video in the history of Twitter that may be a dumb question. there may be some silly yeah you know thing that's been watched over and over and over and over a million times it's four yeah, minutes don't... long and I don't know what the the most watched video is so yeah that's tough to answer It'll certainly get a lot of views I'll put it that way does watching a video generate revenue on Twitter? does if you uh, pay for you it.
4: Are, yeah, if
2: you are a Twitter subscriber, you can get money for the people clicking your tweets, yes. So Tucker Carlson will benefit handsomely financially from he the should. likely millions of views of, of this interview? Yes, he should, yes. Are you guys fascinated by this?
4: No. Really?
3: We can't even get the guy to watch the Super Bowl halftime show. You think he's watching an interview with Putin?
2: No, I understand that. I understand that, but like, you and I are so different, hey, Dad. And and, like, not that like that's breaking news, but it. it, I I think our brains work differently. Like, I'm just, I am am genuinely curious, And, and I'm curious about what Putin says. I'm curious about what questions Tucker asks, but. I'm also curious about the way, like, the style of the interview and how he sets questions up and how he goes about, like, mechanically. But, again. Well, it's a little choppy. It has to be because the language barrier.
3: So he's got to ask a question and then a translator's got to say it to Putin who then has to answer back to the translator to, to him. So it, it yeah. you can't really do, like, a full – I mean, you work around that, obviously, but –
2: All right, we are coming up on Super Bowl 58. By the way, our conversation with Jet Johnson was your college football fix on this Thursday afternoon. The college football fix every day is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to BuyFordNow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers, and you can do it today. So... Great conversation with Jeff Johnson. Enjoyed that very much. Appreciate him spending a few minutes with us, and I do highly recommend that he get some stone crabs from Joe's while he is in South Florida. That's That's worth, it. worth every penny. All right. Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday. Halftime show will be Usher. We kind of went back and forth when we... Um, When we initially found out that Usher was going to be the halftime performer, I was like, ah, eh, okay, whatever. And then I started looking. I was like, they're going to pull some of his old stuff that's really good, and it's going to be a fun halftime show. Which brings up the question of the best halftime shows of all time. Hey, Dad, nobody loves a halftime show quite like you do. That's so true. So tell me, Mm. what is... What is the best halftime show ever?
4: Um, I got four that stand out to me. Okay, uh, they're all pretty pretty recent. Um, when well, I say pretty recent, I mean we go, we're gonna go back about uh, twenty five years on one of them. But um, for uh, the, the, the for, from a musical perspective, number one is Prince. Uh, let me. Find what Super Bowl that is. Um the Super Bowl X L I, so do the math, Brian. Is that thirty seven? That's forty one seven, yeah. Forty one, okay. I mean it's just incredible. And then you have the rain happen. I mean, it's just incredible. You guys the guy's one of the greatest musicians of all time. It's tough to beat
2: that. My my, my wife and kids all laugh at me because there's about a 6 minute minute docu a mini documentary about yeah. that super bowl halftime show and i've probably watched it 30 times and my favorite line is when the producer says we had to have somebody call him and and say it's raining because they were scared he was going to say i can't do it in the rain and prince goes can you make it rain harder <laughs> like that's that's awesome <laughs> so that's, good that's That's great. And then when he pulls the guitar and he goes, Do you mind if I play this guitar? And then just goes at it during purple. Oh, so good. So good.
4: It's great.
3: Whose house was Um, it that he gutted when he rented it for a year? It was an
4: an NBA guy or
3: something. Yeah, former NBA player. Um, Got traded to Denver. And so his house in L.A., he rented to Prince. I don't know how that got how that worked out, but it, it got worked out. And uh, a few months later, he goes back to his house after he gets hurt to do rehab in L.A., and he shows up to the gate. Carlos Boozer. Carlos Boozer. And the gate had been changed. There's a new gate with Prince's logo on it. He pulls up into the house, and everything inside of the house was moved out. And all the Prince's stuff was moved in and it was purple and plush and like princified. He even built a recording studio inside of the house. And then once the lease ran out, he didn't need to rent it anymore, Boozer came back and it was like he was never there. Everything was put back perfectly. Well, they undid it. They completely undid yeah. it perfectly.
4: It's incredible. It's a great story. Wow. So. He showed up to his house and it was I've never heard of that. That's fantastic. It was princified. It's on YouTube. You can hear him talk about it. Uh, Super Bowl LVI, so fifty-six, three years ago, or two years ago, I guess. Uh, the the nineties rap, nineties hip hop one oh, was that was fun. I enjoyed it. It took me back to my college days. Definitely something I, I, I enjoyed. That was uh, Dr.
2: Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, Fifty Cent.
4: Yep. Yeah. In Los Angeles, too. Uh, XLIV, is that 44? Uh, yes. Okay. That's the Who. I didn't actually see this, this halftime show. I was on my way home from work. But then the Saints won the Super Bowl, so it gets to be on the list. They That's did Bob O'Reilly. Plus it's the who. Right? Now, How bad could it have been? It was the Who, yes. It's the Who. Uh, and then, uh, note, my list would be I would be remiss uh, not to have Super Bowl XXXVIII. That's Super Bowl 38. How do you not have Janet Jackson? And, and, and J- how do you not have it on the list? Uh, it's got to be on the list, right? Hey, Dad. Low it's hanging. Got, it well, yeah, time. something was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. But I say all that to tell you that none of those is my favorite Super Bowl halftime show. My favorite Super Bowl halftime show Super Bowl, uh, I believe, Super Bowl 33, yes. January 31st, 1999. No, not because Gloria, Stefan, and Stevie Wonder were there. Halftime Heat, the empty arena match, The Rock versus Mankind for the World Heavyweight Championship. They put on a wrestling match in an empty arena. It was obviously already pre-pre-recorded. Mankind defeated The Rock to become a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion. It was an incredible match. They battled all the through this arena. They were in every office, and it ends. The match ends with the rock or the Mankind using a forklift to pin the Rock under a stack of pallets and get the 3 count and become the world heavyweight champion. It was incredible. I have no idea what Gloria Stefan and Stevie Wonder did, but I will never forget Mankind defeating the Rock at halftime heat.
2: I mean, was the Miami Sound Machine with her?
4: Uh, it doesn't appear so. No. Gloria Stefan Stevie Wonder, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Savion Glover, whoever that is. Ooh.
2: I didn't know she tap went anywhere,
4: anywhere without the sound, sound, sound machine. Yeah, you think you think they would
2: be linked? So they yes. weren't though. Come, we'll check your body, make you do that bamba. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Feel the rhythm of. the... <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Borky?
3: So this is going to surprise you, maybe. I think my number one is Bruno Mars. In part he because was really good, I, I he didn't was really expect really good. It. I, I think I was shocked by because I didn't know much about him. What a showman! That guy is. How talented he was. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were the bad part of that performance. And I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they were the negative. So that, I think, is my number one when you take out YouTube 2 by the way. So I'm not really old enough to remember this, but I've seen documentaries and stuff about it. The Super Bowl after 9-11, where they had the huge screen oh, that, that displayed – Incredible. Every name yeah. of you somebody too.
2: Yeah. I, I got a text from a friend that, that his immediate response was you two after 9-11. Yeah. Um they also played in the Superdome after
3: Katrina. They are the post-tragedy act, I guess.
2: Sports Talk, Mississippi. We'll wrap it up with you coming up next in the Pearl River Resort Studio. <laughs>
1: Let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
5: I feel like
2: people don't go past about Super Bowl thirty going back for the halftime shows because the productions have changed so dramatically. They've become so big, so incredible. Prince a big for me, up with people guy. Uh maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> One of the cool things about the Prince halftime show, beyond the fact they had the rain, they had the FA uh, Florida A and M marching band, and they had the like the glow sticks that were attached to them, and so they were like glowing on the field as they danced. Um, you mentioned the the salute to hip hop, the the two thousands hip hop. I thought it was great. I thought Lady Gaga was really really good.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: And I say that as not a
4: fan of Lady Gaga, but her, her show was good.
2: Her voice is just so big. And you kind of know all of her songs also. Um, Borky went with one of those kind of like low-key, and eh, not a lot of people would say this. I got one of those for you as well. February 12th, Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Madonna. When she did like a prayer at the end, and she hit the part of the song where she says, "Let the choir sing," and she's got the 200 members of the choir on stage with her, and they start singing in the whole deal. And she's doing that with with CeeLo Green. I oh, thought that was really good. And the cast that she had, it was so it was Madonna with Lmfao, Cirque du Soleil, Nicki Minaj, M.I.A., CeeLo Green, Andy Lewis, and then a whole bunch of high school bands, and then the the choir on stage as well. That's ah, good. Really good. I don't think Black Eyed Peas was as good as I wanted it to be. That's 20 less, 13 years ago. That's crazy. So, what, yeah. is Usher going to be good or no? Oh,
4: I'm sure it'll be fantastic. I'm sure, yeah. With
3: well, the best commercials is another. That, that's such a difficult question to answer. What's that? The best commercials of all time. We get asked on the text line about that. Coca-Cola, Polar
2: Bears, Budweiser, Clydesdales. Clydesdales are just always a hit. Jordan Bird for McDonald's is my all-time favorite. That's a good one. That was the off the blah, 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 nothing
4: off the, Yeah,
2: well, Yeah, they went around the, the world playing playing horse, yeah.
4: I mean, the best sports commercials,
3: I assume they aired one during the Super Bowl, was The Real Men of Genius. That, that was Love the best. I mean, that was advertising at its finest. We have, I mean, just completely understanding your audience and what makes them tick, I guess, was those commercials. What about um, Bud? Wise?
4: Wise. Er. Those,
2: are, those are pretty iconic. The frogs are good. They are good. How far back do you have to go back to get a Spuds McKenzie commercial? Hey, Dad, a long way. Do you, you remember go Spud, Spud
4: McKenzie? Who doesn't remember Spuds McKenzie? How can you not forget forget
2: him? Forky, it was like the, uh, it was the Miller Lite Dalmatian dog. Okay, was he Miller Lite? No, he's
3: Bud
4: Light, a beer. Yeah, same difference. He was Bud Light. I'm I'm positive.
2: <laughs> Somebody sent us a message that said, Richard, Bud, Hey Dad, Wise, Porky Er. <laughs> yeah. Who would you like to see do Super Bowl halftime? I would like a, a real rock
4: band Metallica, Creed. Both Both of those we're having pretty a good, right now. Well, why can't we we'll get Creed next year at the Super Bowl? I mean,
3: we resurrected '90s rap. Why don't we go into '90s the the grunge era that was so? You don't have to be grunge, but Pearl Jam,
4: Alice in Chains, yes, get them up there. Absolutely, I'm totally in. Totally in. Hootie. If he can. If he can do grunge? No, I'm just Hootie. Hootie's not grunge, but. Um.
2: What about a Garth Brooks Only if show. the
4: Dolphins make it.
2: Yes. I mean, in terms of like high energy, big time performer. Yeah, but he may
3: have work. at one point in his life said he likes the country in which he lives. And so, you know.
2: Oh, Borky making it political. There we go.
3: Yeah, that's, that's my closing statement of the show. There you oh, go. You are the worst. Loving your right. country is problematic these days. There's another political right. statement for you.
4: Friday
2: tomorrow, guess we'll all be here again for a great show. As is always the case, sports talk Mississippi. We'll do it again tomorrow. Actually, they will well, do it again tomorrow. I'll be on an airplane. <laughs> I know you're surprised. <laughs> I have gotten on a plane in a while. Sports Talk Mississippi Ah. in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Thanks for being with us. Look forward to being with you tomorrow. For Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Good night.